This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. The key part I find in this day and age of business we're in, we've had a tenfold increase of businesses in this country uh, in the last 20 plus years. You know, in the year 2000, there was 400 million businesses in the world. We're, next year, we're going to be cracking the 1 billion mark. The world is full of amazing people, and once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Humans. Aside from being born in the US, growing up in Australia, and spending 14 years in the UK, Michael has some stories to tell. He's an author, speaker, an entrepreneur, and a key person of influence and small business specialist. Michael is on the Dent Global Leadership Team, a business accelerating company which has achieved massive success. In his first year, he took a company from 1 million to 11 million pounds. From there, he's taken companies and turned them into multi-million dollar enterprises and even built an exclusive partnership with LinkedIn where only sales reps could recommend their services across Europe. Not to mention serving brands such as Canon, Barclays, American Express and Deloitte. He's also a successful businessman, a loving father and husband and an author, uh, the key per- person of influence by Daniel Priestley, the little <laughs> gift that he's just given me. Yeah. What's the go? Have you written this or what's the no, story? No, no, no. So that, that's a book my good oh, mate. Oh, fuck that up, didn't I? Yeah. Well done. <laughs> no, the author, the, the other book I meant to give you, my friend, was uh, the book called How to Really Use LinkedIn. So Love it. Uh, that's the book which uh, I changed cars. I had to drop my kids off this morning <laughs> and I had the books in the other car. <laughs> I love it. Well, this awesome humans. Michael, g'day, buddy. How are you? Fantastic, Brett. Great to be here. <laughs> I love entries like that. It's so good, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, mate, the way I love to do this is just sort of getting started from the very beginning. So what's your first ever memory? How far back can you go? That would be... Oh, I tell you what, what, I don't know if it's the first one, but the first one that's coming to mind right now, it was my good friend Ben Smaha's birthday, and we must have been... I don't know, maybe three or four. And I remember he had a big, bright red shirt on. And I remember uh, I had to give him a gift. It was his birthday. And I think I gave him a little reindeer gift for his birthday. And I remember I gave it to him. And the moment I gave it to him, I was like, that's cool. I want that, actually. <laughs> and did you take it back? <laughs> I think I tried to. I think my mum gave me a big slap. So <laughs> so that was a, a memory when I was in the US and my friend Ben, he was my best friend back then. So, yeah. Isn't that funny when you, when you start sort of thinking back and what will happen during this process? Because yeah. lots of people don't uh, go through their life process, right? And then all these other things will come back flying into your head. And yep. it's, it's a really, really cool experience. Yeah. So where were you born? In the US? Yeah, born in the US, uh, place, a town called Newburyport mm-hmm. in Massachusetts, so just north of Boston. Okay. And so my uh, American side of the family, my dad's side of the family is all from the, the northeast region of the US. So You have no American accent? <laughs> no, no, I don't. Uh, interesting on that is my, my brother, he was a year and a half older than me. Yeah. And when we moved over, he I would, I'd just turned six, he'd just turned seven and a half. He always had a strong, thick American accent. And growing up through high school, everyone's like, these guys sound weird. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they look the same, but they sound different. My first year at university, this teacher, the, the professor sort of explained, they said, if you move new to a new country and if you move after the age of seven, you'll, you'll keep the existing country's accent. If you move before the age of seven, you'll adopt the new country's accent. And I was like, ah, oh, that Isn't explains that bizarre? it. I was like, spot on. I can absolutely attest to that. So, yeah. And my wife reckons every country I go to, I pick up their accent. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm in Asia, I start speaking Asia. And it's like... Maybe it changes as you get older. Yeah, uh, that yeah, could yeah. be some. So you moved over when you were six. Why did you move back to Australia? Um, my uh, actually, my. Or why did you move to Australia? Well, it wasn't really my decision at the time. Yeah, I, t- I just told mum and yeah, dad, said, "I'm moving. Dad, we're done." <laughs> uh, no, I think it was it was down to my my folks. Obviously, my mum has a twin sister over here from Australia. She was over. They met when they were backpacking, or my dad was backpacking around Australia. They'd met. She'd been away for twelve years, mm-hmm. so that was part of it. But then also, my dad had the opportunity to interview some people who's moving quite up in the senior levels of corporate role in, a, in the US, had the opportunity to interview three senior people at this company. And all of them were divorced, uh, onto their second, third or fourth marriage. They're way, you know, unhealthy, un, you know, just ridiculous lifestyles. He didn't want that. And he pretty much just said, you know, this isn't the, the, the lifestyle that I want for my family and decided that that was the catalyst for, uh, for moving us over to Australia. 
Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Especially back then as well because no one really gave a shit back then about uh, health and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It wasn't the at the forefront. But, yeah. uh, but man, that, that's a great decision. It uh, was. About, about all those years, really. It was. It was very much a family decision. You know, okay. It, it was, it was a, a decision based on he didn't want that lifestyle for himself and... Uh, you know, and he wanted to be around us, and you know, he was always the coach of uh, of our teams and stuff yeah. like that. So my my parents have been hugely involved throughout my life, and that was very much a decision. Because I think they also he also knew what the lifestyle was like in Australia, where we do enjoy ourselves. Yeah. Whereas U.S. lifestyle is you get three weeks, two or three weeks holiday, and if you take them, it's like. You should not be <laughs> so doing true, that. It? It's like, what? Can't have a sick day. Sick what? <laughs> so you, you moved back to where? Gold Coast? Or where did yeah, you move to? so my um, my mum's from Albury, Wodonga. Okay. And then we then moved to, moved in with my, my aunts and so on around Grafton, Grafton areas. Grafton, yeah. yeah. And then my parents went on these trips and then we sort of resided on the Gold Coast, grew up in Paradise Point. There you go. For, uh, for yeah, until I was about... 18 when I went backpacking. So, okay. yeah. yeah. So, where was your first school at? Uh, my first, well, my first school was actually Surfers Paradise. Oh, really? So, yeah, the first uh, first number of months, we, I don't know how long it was, maybe six months or a yeah. year, whilst we're still. So was that year six or probably year one, something like that? Yeah, like something yeah. around then. I think it was year one. And uh, yeah, I haven't thought about that image, but yeah, <laughs> I got these images flashing now of like me being year one there. Uh, and then we, you know, found a place in Paradise Point. So, you went to uh, Coomba Bar for. Primary school? Primary school. Yep. And what about high school? I went to A.B. Patterson College. Oh, did you? Yeah, so yeah. A.B. on the coast here. Yep. At the time, Dawn Lang was... Uh, One of the most awesome humans on the planet. Yeah. I'd love to interview that woman. She she was incredibly strict, but I loved her for the fact that she just held her values 100%. really tightly. And, you know, just instilled in, in those friends and people in our school that I think could have gone off the rails yep. had they not been... Re- had someone who was just like, boom, I walk past them, I've got a guest, you look at us, you yeah. eyeball us, you know? And you tilt- yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. All that, yeah. yeah, all that sort of discipline, which but is easy. But she's also to... a businesswoman as well. Yeah. If, if you sit back now and look about who that woman was and what she did, mm. the reason I sent my kids there in the first place was because ah, of her. Ah, cool. Because of um, because of when I sat down with her, we interviewed all the different principals around the yep. coast and stuff, and she was the one that was like, "I'm here to teach your kids. We do it together, not yep. on our own." We install we in strict activity. They're non-domiciled, so they yep. don't rub, um, push religion down your throat. Yep. And at the same time, this is the school and the business. This is why we have to charge these fees. It's yeah. Like, Woo, love it's it. Done. Bring it on. All right. <laughs> Get it. Come in. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, though. And, yeah. And uh, and so. Someone that strict has a big influence on your life. Yeah, definitely. So just a little side note story on that. I remember where my brother was one of the founding students there. So I oh, remember wow. when it was a rubble. Like yeah, we yeah. went in there like for the parent, it was like the working bee days to help set up the school. <laughs> wow. So That's we were, pretty cool. We, so I got there maybe, I think it was a year or two after it had founded. Mm-hmm. My brother was the one in the founding year. And yeah, so I, I when I came back like from overseas just last year, I went to visit the school. Oh, I was like, holy <laughs> crap! Like this is way evolved. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's phenomenal to see what's happened. Oh, that's pretty amazing. So, school, good, bad, ugly. Were you uh, were you a jock? Were you a nerd? How'd you fit in? <laughs> uh, I think I was the guy that uh, I always. Uh, I always find the good in people. I think, like, I think it's, it's a it's a strength and a weakness at times, yep. you know. Um, but I was the type of guy that could really. Uh, I sort of appreciated mixing with all the different types of groups and stuff. But I, I maybe known as I mean, the later years, but the party guy because I ended up. Um, I think we had like it was like thirty something parties in grade twelve, and like most of them were at my house. So <laughs> that's always a good way to be. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was fun, but no, I, I enjoyed school. I I, uh, I, I sort of got to a, a, I found a method of how to study mm-hmm. and do it concisely, so I could get good grades, but then um, but then have lots of time for enjoying myself too. So uh, I think that's why I did it. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. So looking back now, do you yeah. think school had a big influence on what you do today or has it nothing to do with what you do today and you just did it because you had to do it? Good question. Thanks, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> you do it well. That's how this thing you works. do it well, that's it, <laughs> all right. Um, I, I think that school definitely gave me a discipline you know, okay. and, and yep. I said, I think that what I've taken away from I'll that. I taught you the values. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Values and just, um, I think there was a teacher in grade 10 who told me, you know, listen, the highest OP back then, OP school, they're still today, aren't they? OP? No, I think they changed this year. Actually. Uh, have they? Yeah. Okay. So back then it was OP's overall position. And he said, oh, grade 10, you, you'll never get more than an OP 10. I went, 
screw you, buddy. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm now going to do it just to yeah, be sure. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, that was yeah. the catalyst. And I went, no, I'm going to get better than that. I shot for a five, and I think I got a four, a, a four or a five, one or the other. Oh, well done. Uh, and so, but that was just the moment. And I think what it, what it gave me upon reflection now with you asking that is just this discipline of just, okay, like knuckle down. And so I think that what I was able to do throughout that and uni and so on was just this ability to just focus yep. and get things done. So I'm more the type of guy that will be like eat the frog first. Okay. You know, jump in. If I had an assignment or studies or something, I'd rather get it, do, get it done. So then I don't have to worry about it. Then I can go enjoy myself. Yeah. And so I think that gave me that sort of focus, which I've absolutely applied throughout my career and my business life for sure. So, so, so growing up then, were you taught that at home? What did, what did mum and dad do? Yeah, uh, my, so my parents were uh, quite uh, entrepreneurial in, in a sense. Um, not your extreme entrepreneurs, like going out there, setting up different types of businesses. Um, but my mum, uh, when, once she looked after us during uh, the younger years of yeah. our, our development, and then she started a, a second, it was a floral shop. Uh, so I had a little, uh, actually at Labrador, uh, shopping centre. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Little uh, little forest stand there, and I remember going there for many afternoons after school in the early years, and then getting dragged back there. Yeah, mom, I don't want to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Then she set up a pre-love kids clothes store and did okay. that for a few years. That was in uh, was it Labrador, sort of near um, uh, the Grand in between that. Oh, yeah. yeah, So, yeah. and then uh, then they set up a secondhand uh, silver jewellery business, oh, which wow. they ended up creating a, a fran. Oh, not a fran. They set up a, a couple of them. So there's one franchise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They sold that later on, uh, which which did well for them. And then my and my dad was always a, a like a consultant to the government, so for project management. So, okay. Yeah. So they had uh, they had that sort of uh, and and uh, in the earlier years as well. I remember they were investing in property and things of that nature. That always been doing. And was that, that an so open thing in the house? Like, did did you know about that stuff? Good question, yo. Because I think that. Uh, it, we were aware of it, but yeah. not really of the details, you know, like like not getting into numbers or anything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. It was just, oh, yeah, we're doing this and you come into the house on the weekend. We're going to hang out and we're renovating. So yeah. that's awesome. Thanks. Exactly. So, you know, definitely I think my parents, you know, gave us a lot of valuable lessons around investing and saving and more saving, I'd say, and putting your money wise. And my grandfather was a, was a good with shares investing. So I knew about them and had mm. an awareness of these things. Uh, and yeah, and definitely they encourage us to invest, uh, you know, into shares. I think I bought my first shares when I was 10 years old or something oh, like wow. that. Yeah, I think it was, um, was it Commonwealth Bank may have been back then <laughs> or um, had Suncorp shares for a long time as well. So it's, it's really good, I think, that parents do that because mm. a lot of uh, a lot of parents, you sort of uh, don't tell their kids what they're doing or, or any of that sort of stuff or it's all behind closed doors, don't go into dad's office or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Whereas I think if you can speak openly at the dinner table about, as you say, not the details, yep. but like, why would you do that, Dad? Oh, because of this, this and this. Yeah. Well, my kids say, can I borrow 20 bucks off you? No problem at all. I'll charge you interest. What do you yeah, mean? Yeah, beautiful. But, beautiful. But the thing is, not that I ever would, but yeah, it's yeah. the whole point of... Appreciation. Was, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I was at the shops last night and I forgot my card and I said to my oldest daughter, have you got any money on your card? Yep. And she goes, uh, I'll charge you interest. I went, okay, I I've, ta- I've taught you well. I'm actually really proud of you. Yeah, exactly. It's like now we're getting it, right? But I think it's really, really important to 100%. help with, with the growth of kids through life. That's one of those things that um, people are affected by. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's a big part of what I'm doing at the moment is, is involving my kids. Well, they're still too young at the moment. They're two and three. Mm-hmm. But a big part of why I'm doing it is just to build this entrepreneurial community. And I definitely want to get my kids involved. I say to our clients all the time, I, one of my little uh, sort of guilty secrets, not a, not a guilty secret, but a, a secret, uh, just a secret, basically, the, um, what I'd love to see happen is that my kids end up starting a business with one of my, my clients' children at some point. So, That'd be good, yeah. that? <laughs> That's funny. I, I, I did a lecture at Bond University um, about entrepreneurism, and I said the first question I said, "Hey guys, uh, who here knows what an entrepreneur is?" Mm. And they, you know, they all sit down and no one says anything. And this guy put his hand up. He goes, uh, "Means you create businesses." And I went, yeah, "Good start." Yep. Another guy goes, "It means you're unemployed." <laughs> and I went, "100 percent true." And I'll tell you what, yeah. I never want my kids to be employed, and they've all gone, "What do you mean?" Because mm. I want my kids to employ your kids. Yeah, yeah. And then they've gone. Oh, uh, like the actual penny drops. And yeah, you sit absolutely. there and go, oh, wow, that's a really interesting different way to look at it. 100%. But at the same time, is if they don't want to do that, they can do whatever they want. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. my, my daughter, when she was 12, she started the skateboard business. Yeah, very and I, cool. I was just I so... the big skate yeah, at the, the front. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And I was really proud. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, this is really good. At 13, she sort of got a bit bored with it. And I'm saying to my wife, but we can... And she's going, 
No. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, 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 yeah. Calm down. Yeah. It's like a bugger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had it. And then she come back to it this year. So that, oh, that, beautiful. That's beautiful. Cool. Yeah. So growing up in Paradise Point is one of the most beautiful parts of the world. Yeah. Um, and you get up to mischief? Oh, no, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I, I loved it. I mean, I think upon reflection, I, I took my... Uh, even though I was fortunate enough to go to a few places because going back and forth from the US every, yep. other, every other year, I saw a few places like Bali like probably 25, 30 years ago, which is nothing like yeah, what yeah. it is now. Well, and um, uh, So I was fortunate to see other places. And so even though I, I did have an appreciation for it, but I don't think I appreciate it as much as I do now, nowhere near. And so I sort of took it for granted a little bit. Yeah. It's sort of what I knew. Um, I, that's, a, that's a really good point because I say that to my wife all the time. Like, oh, the kids are so spoiled. So they don't know anything different. Yeah, absolutely. Like they don't understand that the kid down the road has to borrow money to buy shoes. Mm, like mm. that's not how we're bringing them up. So yep. it can't be their fault. Yeah. It's, it's uh, one of those things, isn't it? Yeah. So as you grow up in these beautiful places with a boat out the back or whatever, yeah. it's like that's just normal. Yeah, and absolutely. It's like it, it's really weird when yeah. you think about it. Like we grew up. I'm not very wealthy at all. Yeah. And yep. now I provide as much as I can for my children. Yeah, absolutely. And whereas my parents did the same for me, but it was different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's like that. You don't really reflect on that stuff. No, no. So, yeah, but it's a beautiful part of the world to grow up in. And um, that's definitely one of the uh, the, the goals I've got for my children once they're a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a lot to support sort of different enterprises and causes around. So want to take them to places of the world where they just get, get a real... But but also but for that reason, though, yeah. for our, sorry, kids just to get a real visceral experience about how fortunate we are so but it, it we're anyone anywhere in this sort of western region countries of the world we're incredibly fortunate yeah you know where we're living in disneyland so yeah, it's so true yeah so true. yeah so you keep saying we so there's obviously a, a, a wife that we've met during this process <laughs> and then how did, how did that all happen yeah actually so uh how old were you so i would have been when we met uh so it's 12 years ago so 27 okay yeah 27 I uh, know 26 actually about to turn to uh, 39 so um so yeah so we met uh I sort of took a business that we went and launched in the UK and we then she actually came along to one of the, our events oh did you yeah and so we uh I was at the time I was doing like 10 appointments would sign up a lot of clients and then I'd sort of meet with them back to back and I'd sort of do these hour sessions and I have about 10 sessions in a day and so when she hit us hit me up to say that she wants to meet up and talk about our website yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call it. <laughs> I, I just said, uh, <laughs> uh, there was a platform. It wasn't LinkedIn. It was a platform called Academy, which is rivaling LinkedIn back in the time, yeah, back yeah. in the day. And I, I saw the photo. I said, I don't care if you're, uh, if you want to meet for business or pleasure, <laughs> but we're definitely going to be the last meeting of the day. <laughs> and so, Excellent. So she came in, and I just said, wine. <laughs> nice intro. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so she's a pommy? No, she's from South Africa. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she's from the Cape Town region, so yep. Stellenbosch, actually. So, um, How good is it going to be for your kids? We've got America, yeah. the UK, South Africa, Australia. That's, that's yeah, pretty awesome. They had the choice between five passports. So, there you go. Um, so yeah, so uh, definitely fortunate uh, in that regard. But it also has its drawbacks as well. Of you know, family get together is not an easy thing. <laughs> <laughs> my, br- my brother lives in the UK as well, and he married a French woman. So oh, it's just to complicate it even further. So this sort of the, the most. Oh, multi-nations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> United Nations. <laughs> so uh, you met at this event and uh, yeah, you offered a wine and she said yes. She said yes and then uh, we don't think we talked much business at all that uh, that meeting yeah. and then we just decided to, to catch up another time and um, you know when you have those experiences and I think my mum my always told me this because I asked her about a, a couple girls earlier in, the, in my sort of uh, my dating life when I said it. You know, mum, is this is she the one? What do you think? She said, if you're asking me, it's not. You know, that's fair. Call. And so I think that first meeting, we both sort of realised. Uh, I think that the first, the first, I say first meeting, the first date we had properly, yeah. right? Uh, we went out for a, the, the after that meeting, initial meeting, we went for dinner, and uh, it was just off o- Oxford Street in in London actually. And there's this little uh, Spanish restaurant, and there's people around us, but that um, that dinner 
we were just in hysterics. We were just not being able to finish a conversation. We were oh, off on really? tangents. We were hysterical. <laughs> People around us looking at it going like, oh, I just, can you shut up? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and it was just one of these really explosive, uh, so she's similar to myself energetically wise. Yeah. And so, you know, pretty outgoing type of people. So it was a bit of an explosion of two sort of high energy people coming together. And uh, awesome. it was great. Yeah. It was really and then nice. from that moment, you just knew. Yeah. It was, it was pretty. Mom, I understand yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was, it was pretty clear. It was pretty clear. We knew early on that it was uh, for both of us, I think. And then, so how long did you wait before you uh, hopped down on I the had a, I had a two-year rule. Because I'd sort of been in a few relationships where it'd been up to a, a couple of years and then I just sort of, I don't know, sort of around the one-year mark, I was sort of questioning it. And yeah. and so uh, so for me, I just wanted to get past the two-year mark and just sort of make sure that things were solid and stable, which we did. And um, so yeah, and so it was, I think it was a couple of years and then we got married in Stellenbosch. So we gave people about a 12 to 18-month window to try and get there from, from different oh, parts awesome. of the world. So, yeah. We're going to be here on this date. Do you want to come here and invite us? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, so we uh, so we had a pretty cool wedding as well. And yeah. did, you, uh, did you do the whole get down on one knee thing? Oh, yeah, I did. I come did. Come on, talk us through the proposal. <laughs> okay. What did you do? So uh, when I was backpacking, so when I finished high school and um, uh, when I was 18, went backpacking for a couple of years. And through those travels, I went through to a place called Cinque Terre in Italy. And I don't know if you've been there, or if you've heard, there, no. but if you've heard, know, yeah, it's a beautiful it. spot. Yeah. And it says, it's at the time, it was the most beautiful place I'd ever been to in the world. Mm. And there's five little uh, towns that are nestled into the cliff faces of the Italian sort of uh, coastline. Um, just sensational views and really bright colored houses and stuff like that. And and I made a commitment. I said, I'm going to propose to my, my wife here. Oh, and really? So I didn't know when or how or anything. Or I, who? I, yeah. Let's get let's get. Exactly, right? exactly. We've got the location. Yeah, got the location, right? <laughs> uh, and so, anyway, so I didn't think I'd be back in the UK, but, uh, you know, business took me back there. Um, and so, uh, and then when my, when we were engaged, uh, no, we weren't engaged, sorry, we are just dating, but then it was my wife's 30th birthday coming up. And so I knew that we get into that stage of the relationship, you know, yeah. where if you did anything too dramatic, it's like, oh, I, I, I sense what's going on here. <laughs> so I sort of tied it in around the, her 30th. It was just a month before her 30th birthday, and I sort of just literally surprised her. I told her, like, we're, we had a, cl- a client of ours that she was working with and sort of just told her, I guess I'm taking away for a surprise weekend. Anyways, we went to Cinque Terre, took her there for a weekend. She thought it was for her 30th, and the first night we were there, I didn't realize, but there's this walk from, I think it's Rio Majore to Manarola, and it's called um, uh, Lover's Walk. I didn't realize it was called that. It go. goes, and, um, and so, and it was raining the whole weekend, but I had the ring, which was my, my grandmother's ring, which my grandfather gave to my grandmother. Wow. So I had it in my pocket and, you know, sweating, <laughs> nerves, like, oh, we went for a drink first and trying to play it cool. You know, it was like a sweaty doing palm. doing tequila shots. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and and it, was, it was quite, it was still overcast and and then we went for this walk and just as we went for the walk it just started clearing up oh, and wow. you could see the sunset on the horizon we went around this point point I sort of I darted around the corner finding there's nobody there and then all of a sudden I found the perfect spot just dropped to one knee had a bit of a pitch uh, <laughs> a bit of a bit of a pitch hey how's this going give me some feedback and yeah anyways yada 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 so good on you I love hearing those stories because it's um yeah, it, it happens, or hopefully only once for most people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they are pretty special times. Absolutely, absolutely. So we've left AB Patterson. Did you always going to go to uni? Or where are we there? Um, yeah. Was that the plan? It was. It was part of my uh, my my grandfather went to Harvard University. So yeah. So it was sort of in my. Not an expectation, sort of a family expectation. I probably could have gone, not gone to it, but I would have had to have had a good reason in terms of why not and mm-hmm. what else I was doing. Um, so it was somewhat of an expectation, but again, it wasn't forced. It's not like you to go to Harvard. Yeah, no, 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 just, to, go just, to, to, uni. just to uni. Yeah, yeah. Just, to, just to get something under your belt and something behind you. And so mm-hmm. that was always, and, and I. Didn't have any, I didn't know what I wanted to do. That's yeah. why I went backpacking for two years before I went uh, to uni. It's because I was trying to figure out what the heck I wanted. So I, I did go to uni uh, for initially to University of Queensland for mm-hmm. six months, but I was playing soccer on the coast. So I stayed, moved back to, went to Griffith Uni. And I just was guided by my interests throughout that sort of, that journey. And I uh, wasn't ready to grow up. What did you do at uni? I uh, ended up getting um, a double major in uh, business uh, psychology and human resource management. Okay. Yeah. And um, glad I did it. 
because I wasn't ready to grow up, but um, uh, I haven't used it much. So, <laughs> <laughs> Fair, pretty cool. Pretty much got into business six months after that uh, yeah, yeah. when I left, and uh, you know. And we hustling all the way through. Did you have the? Did you drink mm. the Kool Aid sort of when you're at school still, or after school, or when did yeah. you drink the uh, entrepreneur Kool Aid? Yeah, you know, I got a good mate of mine, uh, Wezo, who's uh, who's uh, he's done quite well in business himself, and um, and so we're back then we were sort of playing soccer together, and. Uh, uh, we would sort of encourage each other. We'd be reading books, you know, mm-hmm. it was the E-Myth and Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Think, Think and Grow Rich yep. and all those sort of great classics. Uh, and then we'd sort of hang around and sort of uh, we'd, we'd trade notes and everything like this. Uh, this is going, And then we got into um, Network 21, was it, or 22? Or it was Amway yeah, well, Network, Network Marketing. Marketing. And I remember we got we both joined up. And then afterwards we sat down, we opened the box, we go, Oh crap! We're Amway distributors. <laughs> we didn't realize we just hadn't made the connection. Got nothing against. Got some clients who are into it. And I think yeah, it's yeah. it can be a great way to. to uh, uh, but anyways, long and short of it, I sort of really that taught me a lot. Yes. That that year was a re- and this was going. I was still in uni then. I think second second year uni, um, and it really taught me that you know if I'm going to make anything of myself, I've got to work at it. Good doing. You know, and so listen to all the CDs and all that sort of jazz. It was a baptism of fire, but uh, but yeah, I was always seeking a sort of a group. Of entrepreneurial type people, and um, yeah, so that that was something we we're both passionate about. So that's why Wes, uh, after we sort of challenged each other to get into business and this type of stuff, and then um, yeah, we both decided to get into business early on after that point. And did you go into business together, or did you? Uh, <laughs> was it something? You there was actually it was the competition. There was there was actually a, a business we never got off the ground. We actually um, one of the the coaches for no, his sons played in in uh, the the team. Uh, one, they had a couple of sons that were younger than us and he was known as a very successful uh, entrepreneur and he'd actually been a fitness coach in Hong Kong uh, he coached Rupert Murdoch and things of this nature so mm-hmm. Wes and I had this idea actually uh, of actually putting together a like interviews this is before podcasts this was yeah, going back yeah. in early 2000s uh, to interview successful entrepreneurs and then sort of create a, like a show out of it and uh, so we went to uh, to, to Bob uh, Bob Pike this guy and just said Bob what do you reckon of this and he turned around and went mm, not too bad but guess what I've got this product that I have. I've got like oh, thousands of these copies. And he pitched us to get into business to with him. <laughs> and so we started this business, but then it sort of fizzled out a bit because he moved her back and he moved away. And so we never really got it off the ground. But true but, entrepreneur, like, yeah. you pitch me, I'm pitching you yeah, back. Exactly, exactly. So, Actually, your idea is really good, but this is this better. is better. Yeah, you're, like, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. So then, then, so you've, you've had a crack at all these different things. Yeah. And what's the weirdest one you ever had a crack at? Oh. Weirdest one ever had a crack at. Well, the most stupid business you got yourself into and then you're just sort of sitting there shaking your head at the end of it. Mm. I've had lots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Um, well, I, maybe it's not the, the stupidest the decision, but probably it, it was a, a stupid decision I made which caused it to, to fall over. Yeah. It's probably the one that comes to mind. Um, so uh, in the fi- when the financial crisis hit in 2009, 10-ish, when it was really at the peak of it in the UK, I stepped away from the business, which is now Dan, you know, Dan Priestley yeah, and yeah. the key person of influence methodology. This is the f- previous iteration of the business. Stepped away from that and um, I was going to, or not I was going to, we, we did, we interviewed uh, some of the UK's leading experts when it came to sales. And it's called the Ripple Effect Sales Training Program, REST program mm-hmm. effectively. And every week we'd be doing uh, an interview, video interview with uh, with someone. And we would then basically have a sales manual that associated to it. And then we'd also then do a webinar for our clients as a membership base. Mm-hmm. And I foolishly gave away to someone who was going to be building the, the IT tech side because that wasn't my strength. Yeah. And so I, when I was early stage of formulating this, I had all the IP. It was all my in, intellectual property around the REST methodology and everything. And then bringing all these, and it was all my contacts from the, the networks I had and uh, and then this guy was oh, I'll build the IT infrastructure and stuff like this and I and I thought great terrific and he goes oh, I want 49% of the business I'm like oh, and I thought of it I'm like, okay great let's do it shake hands and you know and then sure enough like two months into it he's like oh yeah by the way I'm moving back to Australia didn't I tell you that I went uh, no. <laughs> uh, uh, and then I uh, ended up being a real part of my French, but prick about it all because he then was like, I just said, listen, just, just let go of your shares. Let us get on with it. And he was like, no, nope, I want the shares. And he's like, you want to buy them off me? Pay me 200 grand. I'm like, what? And his dad was a very successful law firm here in, in Brizzy. 
And I just said, well, go ask your dad how much this business is worth then, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so, that, so I had to, as a result of that, I just, we had to wrap that up because I just wasn't going to build. Had to walk away. Yeah, I had to re, we rebranded it and did, uh, did another version of it. Yeah, yeah. But, but, um, but yeah, that was probably one of the, the more uh, valuable lessons I learned about. Well, as, as we were talking about earlier, like failure is, is so key in success. 100%. You just write those off the list. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on. Yeah, and I wish we'd gotten through it because this would have been back 2010. We would have had such rich SEO and content yeah, that would yeah. be out there. It'd be like, we would have had like hundreds, if not thousands of episodes by now, you know? So. Isn't that funny though? You, you look at the whole what if thing and uh, I, I'd love to sort of sit back and go, some of these ideas and thoughts mm. we had back in the day and yeah. like, wow, well, that one was way too early, but like, yeah. look at that now, that would work a trick. What, what was one of yours? Um, we we originally took coin-operated internet terminals into the UK. Ah, okay. That was our one of our first businesses yep. over there. And... Um, just bizarrely, we then picked up all these clients and did all this stuff over there. Yeah. But I went into business with a mate. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the first ones we fucked up. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, because it was all going really well. And then he thought, I'm going backpacking now. Yeah. Like, but you all got this. Oh, no, no. Just give it to someone else to do. It's like, yeah. we're running a business. Yeah. So there's, there's lots of those sort of, uh, sort yeah. of things. But, um, yeah, I, I, mate, there's lots of things we've tried, started yeah. and failed. But what we now learn is that you just get out as quick as possible if it doesn't work. 100%. It's, it's all about, you know, minimal viable product, yep. figure it out, measure it. If it's working, great. If it's not, you know, minimize your downside quickly. I was just mentioned before we come down here today is that um, we've now got a rule in the office. Uh, we call them RPAs. Hmm. They're revenue-producing activities. Yeah, if cool. If you're not producing revenue, then don't do it. Yep, spot on. And, like, everyone looks at you and goes, really? It's mm. like, well, it's a business. Mm. It costs one dollar. You want to make two dollars, no yeah. matter what it is. Whether it's walking into the building, whether it's doing podcasts, whatever they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's got to be different ways that you can measure this stuff. And if I had known that stuff back 20 years ago, mate, we wouldn't be sat here. I'd be like, yeah. Actually, probably would, because I love doing this stuff. And that's a big part of why, what I'm what I'm learning about you already, though, is is your passion for helping others. So sort of, likewise for me, it's just mm. sort of sharing what you've learned and then sort of help people to accelerate those mistakes and so, oh, so they don't have to learn from them. 100%. Because if you can do that, and people starting off can then sort of you know quickly adopt and embrace those things they can you know, you're still bound to make the mistakes but you know hey. we have a philosophy we used to have a business called startup club and people business before shark tank mm. and people used to come in and pitch to us every week and mm. so we called it toastmasters for entrepreneurs so okay. it was a startup club people used to come in and before they sat down it's like okay you've got three entrepreneurs here that have been there done that we've all failed massively yeah uh, we've all succeeded massively like it, we've been both ends of the thing i want to find the silver bullet that kills your business Mm. Because if I can sort of find that silver bullet that's going to kill your business before you mortgage your house, you do all this stuff, then throw everything at it because mum and dad said, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then we can show you how that's not going to work. Yeah. We'll also then try and show you how you could change it to make it work. Absolutely. But what I want to do is stop all these people going out there and getting into all this debt yeah. to actually then create something that's never going to work. Yeah, Just because yeah. all their mates go, oh, great idea, all that sort of stuff. So that, that, that's something that we've lived by since day one. And Perfect. I think it's one of those things that not enough people do. Yeah, like 100%. You've got to be able to say no. Yeah. Um, and be blunt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I love the quote that your success will be defined not by what you say yes to, but what you say no to. Mm -hmm. you know? And particularly as you, you grow in, in um, you know, with success in your business and stuff, you get more and more things thrown at you as well. And so you've got to get really good at knowing what to say no to and what to say yes to. And, and uh, uh, what I noticed with the early stage businesses, the thing that makes them incredibly inefficient uh, and off track is it's a misuse of time. It's spending time in the wrong areas, which is why in the early stages of business, it's so critical to just get real life feedback, not from your parents and your mates, but from your actual ideal customer. Yeah, 100%. You know, get them telling you what they think of it. If it's Everyone's work, told me this is great. Have like, they given you $1? Yeah, exactly. Well, no, and, but they're going <laughs> to. And But the thing is, in the early stages, like a key part I find in this day and age of business we're in, we've had a tenfold increase of businesses in this country uh, in the last 20 plus years. You know, in the year 2000, there was 400 million businesses in the world. We're, next year, we're going to be cracking the 1 billion mark. That's insane. You know, so, so going out and, you know, uh, it's like the 80-20 rule when any business in mm. any industry you know, 20% of your customers generate 80% of your revenue. Just like the income distribution inside any industry, the top 20% share in 80% of the spoils, which means that if you don't know how to differentiate yourself and stand out, then mm -hmm. you're in the bottom 80% fighting over the scraps and often trading, competing on price, which is a losing strategy. And so even if I, I challenge a premise, even trying to get someone to pay a buck, is that the ideal person you want to pay your no, dollar? No, of course not. Yeah, because it's mm -hmm. like, it's, and that's why, uh, anyways, it's a, 
Do you know what I love? What's just happened? You've got straight into business mode. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Like you get to see your whole whole demeanor change. Oh, really? Because yeah. you're so passionate about that. Yeah. And it's really, really cool because yeah. um, it, it, I find it a wonderful thing yeah. because you're actually sitting there going, actually, I really want to fucking help these people. I really want to yeah. tell them, like, don't be stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, just <laughs> like, like... it's one of those things. But it's really, really cool. And the, um, the thing is that there's people like yourself and um, a lot of other entrepreneurs out there that if people listen to, it's like you, you mentioned earlier, Rich Dad Poor Dad, mm. book that changed my life. 100%. I read that and learned what passive income was and go, oh, fuck, let's yeah. go invest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Simple as that. And yep. my wife then read it and go, oh, let's go and invest. Yeah, like yeah, it's, yep. it's those sort of things that, that change your life. And if absolutely. you can be one of those people where you can change one person's life, yeah. Like, yeah, fulfilled. absolutely, absolutely. Seriously. Yeah. So now we're going to uni. Yeah. We've gone backpacking, we've gone to uni. Yeah. Yeah. And what's your first job? Do you get a job or do you go on your own? Uh, actually, when I got out of uni, I was the human resource manager for a boat building company on the coast. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty much just a puppet role. So they wanted me there just to say they had someone doing it. Uh, <laughs> That's how I got in IT. Exactly yeah. what I'm saying, man. And uh, and then six months into it, I was just like, I realised what was going on, and uh, they were doing everything opposite. This guy had a team of about sixty people, mm-hmm. uh, doing everything opposite that of what I taught was best practice. And I thought, if this muppet can be building a boat building company of this size and stature, doing everything wrong, what mm-hmm. could I do if I could do, did it right? So that's when I then met this guy who was uh, who was Dan Priestley actually back, uh, who was um, from Sunshine Coast. He was a twenty three year old kid giving a lecture to adults about how to run a successful business and create wealth i thought what the heck gives this guy (laughs) so so i was intrigued and so sure enough i was super intrigued by what he was up to uh pitched him an opportunity joined his team because in rich dad poor dad one of the lessons i took from that was that if you want to become a world-class entrepreneur you've got to learn to sell yes and i thought i could sell until I jumped on the phones for, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually I was listening to the podcast you do with Michael Lane the other day. Oh yeah. So we used to do a lot with Richard Tan and Success Resources yeah. in, the, in the UK, and um, and say long long and short of it, I, I was just listening to the part where you're saying he jumped on the phones and did his commission only role. That was me too. Yeah. I literally jumped on the phones for months and just I was so bad I had to apologise to people because I was like I'm sorry I've let you down. <laughs> I, know, I know you actually need to be there because of my inability to communicate the value of this. <laughs> anyway, but I. I lived on the phones. <laughs> and you would have sold stuff by actually being honest. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and that would convert for some people yeah, sometimes. But yeah, that was just my baptism of fire of just learning to sell. And I did that because of the lessons that, you know, Rich Dad Poor Dad was t- talking That's about. It's pretty amazing, you know, when you look back at um, mm. just these little things that happen in life that that, that, that change Completely. Yeah. So you uh, you then working with Dan Priestley? Is that the way yeah, that works? Yeah, it's called Triumphant Events, and um, and then basically we were running events, and that's the first year we'd signed this contract with the business, and um, uh, and basically the part of the reason how Dan got to that sort of level early on is he'd worked with a mentor to sh- and the, where he learned how to run events. And so that, that, that in those days, it was putting adverts in the newspaper yep. and getting people to turn up to workshops. And so we came across this uh, company who effectively was selling one-to-one. It was a franchise business for 60 grand. We realized there was a really big opportunity with the franchise, but that, you know they were doing it ineffectively, mm-hmm. uh, inefficiently, I should say. So we showed them instead of selling one-to-one, how to sell one-to-many through a group, yep. uh, through an event strategy. Uh, and then we took that business for pretty rapid growth. We ran 174 events that year. Wow. And um, ran events all over the all over Australia, mm-hmm. so we're flying around. Grew a team from just the three of us to about a team of uh, about twenty-seven. Excellent. Um, yeah, and so that was a pretty rapid baptism of fire of business. So by that stage, you're still based here in Australia. Yeah, still in Oz. Yep. And then what took you to the UK? Uh, well, like we gave that company so much growth, they couldn't sustain it. And mm-hmm. so they literally said, listen, we've got to just deliver on all this new business you've given us. Uh, and so we'd always plan with that business to go to the UK. Uh, and so at that time, we were then following other speakers and um, we ended up moving into the entrepreneurial space. But in the early stages, we were just like, this is like a mastermind group. We're all studying everything from health, from fitness, yeah. you know, uh, from you know, picking up women, <laughs> so yeah. just uh, trying to hack every area of life really. Yeah, of course. And uh, and then we were following these speakers who were um, John, one of them was John D. Martini, the other was Roger Hamilton, really impacted by their knowledge and information, and mm-hmm. we just wanted to share that with the world. And we put it out there to to the world. We were just literally in a meeting going, "Hey, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be awesome just to share this message and share it with more people?" Not knowing where that would take us, because we mentioned that to one of our mentors. He said, "Oh, why not, Roger?" And then he ended up knowing D. Martini as well. <laughs> put us in touch. Next, you know, within two months of us having this sort of fireside sort of chat of like, yeah, "Wouldn't yeah. it be awesome?" 
all of a sudden we were in the UK running events. So, uh, that's pretty and cool. that's where I was until, uh, you know, 14 months ago. So, so you, that's where you met your wife. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, um, kids. Kids, yeah, two little munchkins yeah. over here or in the UK. Yeah, both in the UK. Yeah, yeah and uh, and a little fur son as well. <laughs> oh, really? A little fur baby. Yeah. So boys, girls. Yeah, two girls. Two oh, girls. Excellent. Yeah, Skylar and Nikita. Who? Oh, uh, mate, uh, doesn't it change your world? Oh, they, like everyone always like you fall in love with your wife and yeah. stuff, but then when a child's born, you go. Holy shit. Yeah, like, completely. It, it's just like it changes everything. It, it does. And particularly for us when you live in the UK, it's, it's brilliant when you're of an age where you can control your time. Yeah. But the moment you've got to then be outside because the kids are going crazy, the dog needs a walk, that type of stuff, you just realise how crap the weather is. That's the reason we moved back. Well, yeah. I was there for nine years. Oh, well, yeah. I had two kids there and then uh, yeah. we, 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 we – oh, no, I'm hearing it. We, uh, I think the oldest was 18 months when we're just sitting there going, yep, nah, that's it, we're out. <laughs> Done. And then it was like, uh, well, let's go back to Australia because yeah. at least we know that I'd rather them grow up here. For that reason, we had two more, and the the whole thing come was like it's um it's sunshine, it's, it's yeah, like it's ah. just so much better. For <laughs> it's just easy. It's simple. It's simple. Yeah. You just grab your stuff, you chuck it in the car. Whereas in the UK, you have to put on four layers oh, of clothing, uh, and we laugh now. We look uh, back at the photos of my eldest, um, and she's got like fifteen layers on. She can't even walk because mm. of the big jackets and all that. Oh, it's, uh, oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. So then you moved back what fourteen months ago back to Australia? Yeah, well, maybe a bit more than that now. Yeah. It was May last year, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, 15, 16 months ago yep. so now. But uh, yeah, so. Uh, and now you're settled. This is where you're going to be, you reckon now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This you're is still travel and do all that sort of stuff, but uh, uh, the kids are basically. Yeah, so I don't know, thankfully I'm not doing so much travel because the business I had before this when I moved back, before I moved back, was we grew a business I scaled across Europe and so I was flying all over Europe and mm. so that sounds nice but then particularly when you have kids, well, it becomes a, not much fun. It's not, yeah, and so that, so I was very, I'm very pleased to not travel so much here. I'm, I'm happy going on a holiday where I can just drive. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Throw all the shit in the back of the car. <laughs> just drive somewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm a happy camper. You're good with that. You're yeah, good with exactly. That. So you now, um, you've come back to Australia uh, yep. Uh, you've and sorry. During this process, you found LinkedIn, obviously. Yeah. So when when did that happen? How did that come about? So basically, the, uh, recapping the story. So when we got to the UK, we we ran the events for these yep. promoting these speakers, and it was sort of a mix of personal development and entrepreneurship. Um, you know, we were running hundreds of events a year, um, and then that was a real baptism of fire as well, just into the UK market. And then the financial crisis hit. And, um, you know, and that just was like, you know, full, full steam train. It was in a day, wasn't it? Oh, uh, it was just, it was. I still remember it. It, it was, was like. You were over there too, were you? No, I was back. Oh, okay. oh. Just the carpet got ripped out from under all these people's feet. Like, like three quarters wow. of what we, you know, you know, we had a, a decent turnover, a decent seven figure business. And that just three quarters of what we're saying stopped overnight. <laughs> you know, one of them, one of the products was linked to US product. We had a lot of people on a, like a membership program. Yeah. And all of a sudden the dollar spiked by like 30% and just poof, max exodus. And it was like pretty horrific. So, um, so long and short of it, we had to pivot quickly. So that's the the business that I mentioned the mistake earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was uh, how I moved to that, and then eventually, I really I found out what I wanted to do was inject my my uh, specialism into a business that um, had the ability to that was established and mature enough, but had not already licensed or franchised mm-hmm. yet had really strong growth in a really strong growth market. And I, I was at a business conference in Bali, and my future business partner then said, "Oh, if you if you if you look." for a business of that nature, we've got to talk. We've just been awarded the world's first LinkedIn training company. And it was a Belgian-based organization. So I was like, tell me more about this. And we ended up catching up. And then anyway, I got married then, came back from getting married. And then we did a deal whereby I secured the international rights of the business uh, outside of Belgium. Mm-hmm. And then sort of scaled into the UK and Ireland, grew up in a number of trainers. And we established a, a relationship with LinkedIn where we collaborated with them. And, and there was an exclusive agreement where they could only recommend their all their clients across Europe um, to to our team of trainers. Wow! And so that that was before Microsoft bought them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was before. Yeah, we were still uh, involved, uh, sort of tailing out of that around the time Microsoft mm-hmm. acquired them. Um, and so, yeah, so we, so myself and my sales team ended up, you know, living at their their Dublin headquarters, their Amsterdam office, and their London office, basically nice. just networking with all their sales team who had connections to all their clients. Yeah. And so that allowed me to scale and grow the business, and then our business was acquired. Um, and then, yeah, so basically the, it sort of gave me the opportunity to then sort of have a bit of time on my hands. I got reconnected with Dan and the guys and what they're up to. 
And um, and then also my in 2017, the birth of my second daughter was very problematic. It was mm-hmm. thankfully we made it through it. She's a healthy little munchkin yeah. now, but we had over 100 trips to the hospital that wow. year, and it just shook me to my that core. That changes everything. 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just you know puts things into perspective and made me realise you know family's not getting any younger. Um, you know, and then what we spoke before about the weather and a number of yeah, things, yeah. it's just sort of perfect storm of a few things. And so Dan and I reconnected and we hatched up a plan for me to basically license the intellectual property for, for the methodology of key person of influence for the state of Queensland. Okay. And so that's why I've moved back and now I'm sort of spreading that message across Queensland. So, so what's the message? What are you spreading? What are you doing now? Uh, so effectively, um, you know, as I mentioned before, some of the problems with entrepreneurship, it's brilliant. People get into business, but then there's a lot of people who are getting in and just, you know, crowding the marketplace. It's more competitive than ever before. And mm-hmm. so it's now super critical to be able to stand out and know how you stand out, why you stand out, uh, what makes you differentiate in the marketplace because the market doesn't, you know, as you would know, that marketplace abhors any sense of profit. Anytime mm. anything makes a profit, a product or something of that nature, it gets copied, it gets replicated, 100%. boom, all of a sudden there's there's no, the market forces of supply and demand are evened out, uh, you're competing on price. Mm. So basically the whole idea around becoming a key person of influence is you, you create a specialism of, of how you are perceived in the marketplace. So you end up, because of that specialism, you end up being perceived by the market as being unique and differentiated. And you end up creating your own market forces of supply and demand. So people go, well, I can't get that anywhere else. Yeah. You know, and as a result of that, they you can then sort of charge premium prices because nobody else is offering that. So that's what the whole methodology is awesome. based around is how you stand out and then you scale up the operation through effectively by building what we call scalable digital assets, such as podcasts and stuff yep. like this, we can get your message out there uh, to target, you know, there's sort of aware and unaware prospects. And, you know, the aware market is typically only 5% of the market, the ho- most competitive component of the market. Because if I'm, if I'm aware I've got a problem, what am I doing? I'm going out there, I'm Googling, I'm searching, yeah, everything like that. So if your ability is only to communicate to those markets, to that portion of the market, you're, it's the, most, the smallest portion and the most competitive portion of the market. Yeah, so the whole philosophy is know how you stand out, then go out and reach what we call dormant prospects. We're using digital assets to engage and, and, and sort of impregnate their minds in a way with this concept of like, well, as an ex- a really great example, client of ours, um, he builds fans exhaust for, for clients and uh, or, or fans, uh, like large scale fan solutions for industrial warehouses. And he was sort of going after industrial warehouses, a lot of other clients. And then we sort of got him to figure out, well, hang on, who's the one niche you could serve really well that if you could solve their problem, they'd have the biggest opportunity to spend a lot more for you and you'd have a passion for serving them. He realized it was, it was, a, it was industrial warehouses. Okay. And um, he was pitching these solutions that are like 50 grand to, to 100 grand type thing, but everybody else was going in and saying, hey, buy some fans, cool your, your environment. And the boss is going, 50 grand for a fan? I don't go to Bunnings. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't, so we were like saying, well, so let's delve into this deep deeper. What are the problems you've got? What are the problems the this you know uh, industrial warehouse manager or owner has when the environment gets hot? And so he started to explore and go down that rabbit hole. And where he really got to with is, guess what? When it gets hot, you have a decrease of workplace productivity. So he realised he wasn't in the fan and cooling business. He was actually in the workplace productivity business. Hundred percent. And so he kept going down that rabbit hole. So we encouraged him to create like a, a way to measure that. Yeah. How could you measure the impact of, inc- of of loss of productivity? So he went around and, he, and so I pitched him this idea and he's. Just like he went around and sort of got to measure the how hot it is in the different places, but he's gone to the next level with it and realised like wind for direction of the business, the sort of the, the the feasibility of like how big and how wide and the, um, you know how t- uh, throughout the time of the year, etc. Anyways, long and short of it, he's created this calculator, which is now they can then go into to uh, to one the, one of the first businesses he pitched that between October and December they're going to lose about quarter of a million dollars over that over that quarter just that that one quarter period through lost what work place productivity and as a result of that he's 50 the grand's only, nothing 50 grand's a walk <laughs> in the park so yeah so, so now genius. so yeah, now yeah. so now he's the only one in the world talking about uh workplace productivity and how it's linked to you know cooling your work environment so that's an example of what i mean yeah, by yeah. creating your own he's your, now a key person of influence in that space exactly so now he educates about the impact of that and how to avoid it and all this sort of stuff now he's moving a lot more into the consultancy side therefore of he's brought in more income <coughs> streams to his business 100 percent. he's now yeah, charging for those so for those reports first when he gave away for free now he's charging three and a half grand <laughs> for that consultation so the fans just one portion of his business 100 percent. yeah so how, are you, how are you spreading the word are you doing that via talks are you doing that via webinars podcasts how, how are you 
you um, homing pigeons. I mean, they're going to take off one day. <laughs> they, they what? They are. Rumor has it. They are the next Facebook. <laughs> they are. Indeed. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, we walk our talk. Um, you know, basically, we, we do a lot of Facebook advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a phenomenal medium. So we've got a really cool cascade sequence, which is working really well. So it's allowed us to expand around Queensland. Um, you know, getting hundreds of people to register at our events whenever I go to a different so place. So they are events. Uh, yeah. You are holding events. So we do. Uh, there's a sort of an ecosystem of products that we uh, that we create and we encourage our clients to create but a lot of it's engaging people with the problems that they're associated to um, not having influence in business you know and then so we get people to engage with that concept first in the early stages and then from there the goal so then we end up sending people books we you know we're sending out anywhere from five to ten books a day to people we have a digital scorecard that allows people to assess how well they rate there's five levers of influence pitching publishing product profile and partnerships Mm -hmm. and so there's a scorecard people can take if they just google key person of influence scorecard for example you can uh, do an assessment of that um, and then uh, effectively sort of people engage with the content and then we invite them to attend an event of which I run around as Queensland I'm running about one event a week uh, on that and then we just sort of educate on that and help people to understand uh, those levers um, that's awesome mate. yeah do a lot on LinkedIn now too and always always trying to find new channels setting up a podcast as well love to have you on a bread as well oh, mate, love to be yeah more, more than happy to come on and chat about stuff yeah absolutely so, mate, the way I love to finish these is by a bit of a quick fire question. Oh, yeah, I love it. What's your greatest achievement in life? Supposed to be quick. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. okay. The ex- <laughs> I'm Okay, sure, sure. No, the, the exit of my business. Per- professionally, the exit of my business, personally, would be just the, my, my daughter surviving 2017. That's awesome. Yeah. You can't get much better than that. Cannot can you, really? get better than that. Personal people who have the most influence on you personally. Today or earlier? Throughout your whole life. Who's had the most influence on you? Yeah, I'd just say uh, it's hard to pinpoint one person, a range of mentors. I love studying just successful people, learn stuff from so many. Pick one. Okay, one, I'd say Dan Priestley. Dan Priestley? Daniel Priestley, yeah, huge impact. What about, is that personally or career wise? Career wise. What about personally? Uh, uh, Personally, I would say uh, some of the lessons my grandfather taught. Okay. My grandfather Bumpy, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Favorite food? Um, Thai. Love Thai. Favorite song? Ah, uh, Hall of Fame. The script. Favorite place in the world? Cinque Terre, I think. <laughs> After. <laughs> What's next for Michael Clark? Um, creating a community of uh, 2,000 entrepreneurs who become the go-to brand in their business around in their industry around Queensland, and at the same time, making a pledge and a commitment to to contributing 10,000 a year to social enterprise mm-hmm. and to uh, meaningful causes. That would allow us to have a 20 million a year impact every year. Love it. So, Michael, mate, thanks so much for telling me your story. I really appreciate it, mate. As far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks for coming to <laughs> Thank see you, me. Thank you, Brett. Great to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, buddy. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. And what an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels. Search for Podfire on Instagram and Facebook or find me at BJ Macker and look out for all our Podfire podcasts.